Hello and welcome to All Back to Bowie's show 19. We could be heroes, sport, dreams and independence. Uh, this show I thought was just lovely. Um, we had a terrific panel, I mean, you know, really proper, renowned sports people people who've been at the Olympics and people who've played international uh, football, which is unusual, um, and really fascinating. So the discussion on sport um, with Susan Eaglestaff and Michael Stewart and Ron Ferguson um, and Ruth Wishart uh, is really, really good fun, I think. Also some very good stories from Ron Ferguson and perhaps the definitive answer to whether it's Bowie or Bowie um, with reference to a butcher in Alloa. Lovely music from Josephine Sillers, who's back in the Bowie yurt, and a storming poem from Miko Berry. So please sit back and enjoy We Could Be Heroes, Sport, Dream and Independence. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to All Back to Bowie's. Uh, thanks for coming down. A, my name is David Gregg, and uh, my co-host today is Fiona Ferguson. A, just to let you know a little bit about uh, All Back to Bowie's, it started when um, David Bowie, back at the, uh, at the uh, Brit Awards, assumed the corporeal form of uh, Kate Moss and said, Scotland, stay with us. And so we thought that sounded like a really nice invitation, and we took him up on it. And here we are in his rooftop yurt in the city of Manhattan, discussing the interesting aspects of the independence referendum. Not all the boring bits, not all the yaboo, but all the interesting stuff. And today we're going to discuss sport. Uh, David told me to nudge him when I want the microphone, but uh, here it is. So um, today we're going to talk about sport, and one of the interesting things we thought is how much the Indiref has been on binary basis, and what is more binary than sport. So we thought there was quite a few uh, good examples of that. Mine is the most important because it's to do with Cowdenbeath, which, because my dad is on the panel, you're going to hear an awful lot about Cowdenbeath Football Club today, uh, is Cowdenbeath Pars. Cowdenbeath versus the Pars. Does anybody not know who the Pars are? Yeah, the Pars are Dunfermline, right? So Cowdenbeath are the blue Brazil, or as they are recently now, is is Brazil the yellow Cowdenbeath? Is that is that how it goes? No, I think we disowned them after the World Cup. A <laughs> uh, so my binary. Some people have Rangers and Celtic. A uh, I'm I like a coastal uh, coastal rowing is my current sport and. Um, so you can see my binary is the fantastic North Queensferry coastal rowing against the quite simply bastards of South Queensferry, who, um, who fortunately we humiliated in the inaugural cross-fourth race, and uh, they'll never take that trophy back. Um, but binaries, we try to avoid binaries here at All Back to Bowie's, but there is one crucial binary that you do we do have to know what team you're on, and that is this. Are you Team Bowie or... Team Bowie. So every day we've been holding an informal referendum 
about that. And we've got the totals. Uh, uh, Sarah, in the front row, is our Professor John Curtis. She's analysing the stats. But today, it's very, very important. Uh, there's only a few days to go before the big result will be announced uh, at the end of the run. Is it Bowie? Is it Bowie? So, do you agree that David Bowie is pronounced Bowie? Okay. Can you count, Fiona? Okay. Um, Absolutely. Eleven. 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 That's a, that's a limp showing for Bowie today. <laughs> if, you, if you say no, David Bowie is pronounced Bowie, please raise your hands. Oh, my goodness. About 33. About 33. Uh, does anybody need more information? <laughs> anybody undecided? No? It's, we're, we're very clear on it. That's great. OK. Uh, we've got a lovely uh, uh, panel for you, to, a programme for you today. Um, we've got a terrific panel coming up later on. But first, I'll give it over to Fiona to introduce our first act... Uh, and our oh, audience. <gasps> David just made his first mistake. Um, so the, the, there isn't much time in the panel. We're really aware that there isn't much time. In fact, there isn't any time for audience questions. So in order to uh, get some thoughts and opinions from the audience, every day we have a statement, a dot, dot, dot statement that we ask you all to fill in. So if you can root about in your pockets and bags and find old receipts, Tickets, flyers, anything that you can write on and share pens amongst yourselves. At the end of the show, we'll collect them all in and read out a couple. Um, they'll all be read out on the podcast uh, and the entire... The, the, well, just to be clear, that this, the statement is we'd like you to complete a sentence. So in each show, it's to do with a theme. So, for example, when we did um, Ireland and an independent Scotland, the sentence was Ireland is dot, dot, dot. Or um, when uh, uh, we did Braveheart, we explored, talked about Braveheart, the sentence was Braveheart is dot, dot, dot. So today we're talking about sport. So today's sentence we'd like you to complete is, my sporting dream is dot, dot, dot. Okay? So uh, you can take your time to fill that in. We'll collect them in uh, after the panel discussion. So all that remains uh, is now to ask Josephine to come up to the stage. We have a fantastic musician for you today, Josephine Sillers. Um, and I think normally in your gigs, this probably doesn't come up, but seeing as we're in a political show, it is that Sillers. Uh, she's Jim Sillers' granddaughter, who is now going to come up and introduce her first song. So please put your hands together for Josephine Sillers. song for you which it is a cover and it's one that I played a lot with National Collective because I was on the festival tour for about a week doing the Outer Hebrides and I played it everywhere I went so I'm gonna open for it just now. Actually funnily enough you were saying that it comes up because this is a political event. Most of National Collective didn't even realise there was a connection between me and my grandpa. Like none of them realised but halfway through um, Ross Hunter went to me so are you that others? Because we should have mentioned this in Harris, it took her to Harris before she realised. So some of you might recognise it. Um, the song is called Boss of Me, and I keep forgetting the band it's by because I just know it as the Malcolm in the Middle theme song. 
Thank you very much, Josephine. Um, in case you're feeling sorry for Josephine that all we gave her was an ironing board for a keyboard, that's actually hers and she tours with it, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, next up is one of the regular parts of All Back to Boys, Boys um, where we ask somebody to come and deliver a provocation or a polemic. And today we're really delighted to have do that, Jerry Hassan. So please give a warm welcome to Jerry. Um, thanks very much. Um, I don't know how many of you wasted your morning reading The Guardian. Um, I, I still do every day. And um, somebody, uh, you know, you never get around to reading the paper. Well, I buy the papers. And uh, so somebody tweets me, you should read Polly Toynbee uh, this morning. So I read it coming over in the train. After I, I have to confess, I actually already complained to her about the article and I hadn't read it. Um, so in, in her article, uh, it's going all right in a way. You know how social democratic are we? I'm thinking, oh, I've made a mistake emailing you. Uh, but the last bit is lovely because it compares our debate to, um, to Iraq, to Syria, to Gaza. To, and it's, you know, you think, please don't do that. And um, one of my funny stories about The Guardian is um, years ago, um, because, as you know, Scottish football doesn't exist in The Guardian, uh, they actually, some sub-editor transposed Forfar Athletic to the top of the Scottish Premier League. And I'd quite like to live in a Scotland where Forfar Athletic are top of the, the Scottish Premier League, because you can actually do it in Championship Manager or whatever it's called, which I've never actually mustered, but friends tell me you can do it. You get any team to be top of the league and win the European Championship, and people have done it with Easterling, you know, etc, etc. So a world where, you know, Scottish football and Scottish sport actually exists to the Guardian, there's, 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 there's my dream. Um, one of my little projects is uh, taking uh, young boys and girls around football grounds and taking them around some of the finals and, and some of the small grounds and the highways and byways of Scotland. So I'm having a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a wee lad who I haven't yet managed to persuade to take to a football ground. He's 11 year old. And his stepdad says to me, he, he doesn't know anything about Scottish football. All he's got eyes for is at Barcelona. He won't know who Dundee United are. That's my team, by the way. So he then says to him, could you tell uh, Jerry, um, do you know a famous Scottish football player? And he said, well, do you mean in the present day? He said, uh, he said no, I don't. And then, he, and then he stumbled, he said, he said, as his brain was working on overtime, he said, is Kenny Dalglish uh, a Scottish football player? Now, that's one of the things we've got to deal with in football and sport, the power of globalisation and the allure. Um, of winners, because I was then trying to explain to him, an 11 year old, how Barcelona aren't that ethical and Messi's a tax evader and things like that. And you know, it was, you know, I was wasting my time. Um, so, sport is an obsession, it's a passion, it's a way of life, and obviously, it's a distraction, you know, distraction from the important issues in life. And uh, you know, we need, we need distractions. So, Scotland's got a great sporting past, it's got a great record in lots of things. But there are a couple of kind of problem things. Uh, there's the tyranny of uh, football, speaking as a football fan. Now, nobody here will remember this programme, but when BBC Radio Scotland began, um, when it wasn't BBC Radio Scotland, when they began broadcasting uh, sport on radio in 1945, I think it was a programme called uh, Scott Reel, because I haven't looked this up. Um, but Scott Reel, one of the big sports they covered was Shinty. And they basically covered it as much, or sometimes more, 
than football because football was seen as kind of like you know rough and all that and west west of Scotland and it's just interesting to think you know the slow evolution of how football um, has become so suffocating because the problem of going on about the past whether it's you know football teams doing well or the huge uh, football attendances you know all the gatherings of uh, big gatherings of Scots in world history are all football matches so Barrick Burns like you know a Hibs or Hearts game in the war leagues and and the big gatherings are you know Scotland against England 1939 these are not pleasant experiences that are kind of reminisced because these are about poverty lack of choice and sorry to say, in this environment, men being too close to each other and doing things, or you know, like not going to the toilet. That that's tales, of, you know, the oral histories of those football games that men just pissed on men and stuff. So those that wasn't a golden era. So a couple of thoughts and um, observations, provocations. Uh, the, the problem, the problem with football, we are apparently, according to Simon Cooper, Pearhead, the third most fanatical football nation in Europe after, uh, is it Cyprus? Cyprus and Iceland, it's Cyprus and Iceland. Actually, it's a direct relationship between not being, not being very good and being fanatical. Uh, because the people that are very good, they get a bit blasé and Pearhead, you know, they go, they go west of games. But it seems, to me anyway, to saturate our public discourse to the point it is a sport. You know, why, why is, I mean, we know why off the ball is off the ball, it gets an audience, but there's something problematic there. Um, the Commonwealth Games, I live in Glasgow, I, I love living in Glasgow, um, I've lived there 22 years from Dundee, and it just felt like a, a wondrous great moment of collective joy in the city. This is, this is the international city I want to live in. But there are a couple of questions, apart from the council cuts coming, you know, because of the spending. Is this how we do brand Scotland? You know, is, is this how we do regeneration? Is this how we remember that a city's actually got an East End that we often just choose uh, uh, to forget about? But here's a serious point from that. There is actually a relationship between passive sport watching and being inactive uh, physically. So, now this, is, this is true, this fact. It's not an accident, sadly, that Glasgow most football mad part of Scotland is also the epicentre of the lowest sports participation. So what happens is that people are armchair sports watcher, watchers or they might get up and go to, you know, Ibrox or Parkhead or even Hamden, but they don't then take exercise. So there's this passivity um, and disconnection. And finally, sport brings us to Scotland on the international arena, which I think is something uh, seismic. I, I first realised Scotland was a nation in 1974 sort of, you know, I didn't really know what a nation was, but when we got to the World Cup and we got a colour telly uh, because of that, it was like, oh, and England weren't there, and that was all, there was a sense of English pain about that as well, publicly, I didn't understand all that, but it was interesting, that's what I thought, I live in this place called, uh, called Scotland. But in a soft way, and I think in a profound way, the Commonwealth Games were a political act, because they, they, they allow us to see ourselves represented back to ourselves and we don't often see that in Scotland in this narrow prism of the mainstream media and it allows us to see how other people see us and that's a moment of reflection and I think kind of kind of maturity um, and empowerment. So I'm just going to end with this, this quote which is I, I feel, I feel in my heart we need heroes but heroes can let you down, they can be disappointing when you meet them but the heroes I know are people who mostly are not public and I think this is a great my book is a wee shameless plug, Caledonian uh, Dreaming, and it's the last words in, in my book before the, the wee kind of policy ideas. 
and it's from a, an amazing Chinese philosopher called Lao Tzu. So this is written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And he's talking about social change and, uh, and leaders. And he says, as for the best leaders, the people do not notice their existence. The next best, the people honor and praise. The next, the people fear. And the next, the people hate. But when the best leader's work is done, the people say, we did it ourselves. Now, I'm a bit of an idealist. I actually think that's kind of what's happening in Scotland now, that people, people here, people all over this country are actually becoming leaders, becoming heroes, and I'm quite proud and humble and honoured to be part of that. So, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Jerry. Um, okay, uh, I think what we'll do is we'll just get the stage set up and then I can welcome the panellists to join Jerry for us to discuss uh, sport in Scotland. Just while we're doing that, remember my sporting dream is dot, dot, dot. So keep your little bits of paper um, and uh, keep thinking about it. Be creative because uh, when we read these out, they kind of form a a rather nice crowdsourced poem that we uh, that we do. So it's it's your chance to um, it's your chance to dream. Okay, so I think we're ready. So we've got a fantastic panel for you today. Apart from Jerry, uh, I'd like you to first welcome up um, columnist, super sports fan, a Scottish rugby aficionado and football aficionado, Ruth Wishart. Give it up for Ruth Wishart. Um, next to Ruth, uh, I'd like to invite um, Michael Stewart, uh, ex-Hearts, ex, uh, um, uh, also a pundit on uh, Radio Scotland Sports Sound, and also played for the great uh, Turkish club, Birzglubulu. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have tried that. Um, uh, my next guest has appeared on Bowie's before, talking about Braveheart, but in this context, he's probably best known for the book that he's just brought out called Born Under a Union Flag, Rangers and Independence, Alan Bissett. Please welcome Alan Bissett. Um, our next guest is a, uh, also a fantastic uh, BBC Radio Scotland uh, pundit, but in this case, not a football pundit, on uh, John Beatty's show, and she also writes for the Herald, a proper sports star, former Scottish badminton champion, former Olympian, Susan Eaglestaff. Please welcome Susan Eaglestaff. And uh, last but by no means least, uh, the author of my favourite sporting book ever, I think, in Scotland, I would say, and an, an undoubted classic, the author of The History of Cowden Beef, Black Diamonds and the Blue Brazil, Ron Ferguson. Oh, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh, great. Can we also use that one as well? Great. Oh, here we go. So I've got this one. Got that. Great. Um, welcome, everybody. So um, Jerry's outlined and opened up a number of areas thought, of thought for us um, that... that that we start to follow up on, but perhaps be quite interesting. I, I, Jerry talked about football as suffocating, and I think that that's quite interesting. That 
when we think about sport in Scotland, I think we do immediately think about football. So, Susan, perhaps, do you want to talk a little bit about your, you, your sport is not football and you also like to, um, you're also part of commenting on sports that aren't football. How does that feel? Do you feel in, uh, in a, in a football-dominated environment? Yeah, well, I completely agree that football totally suffocates all other sports in Scotland, and I think it's really detrimental to all other sports in Scotland. And I think during Glasgow 2014, you know, everyone saw that, and during London 2012, there is a real appetite, I think, for other sports, but there's just no room for it. I mean, even already, the newspapers have gone back to being 70%, 80% football coverage, and I think that... It's really damaging to kids, I think. I think especially to kids, because they don't see other sports, and especially young girls. I mean, women's football barely gets a mention, particularly in the tabloids. And so for young girls, I think a lot of the time they don't even realise that sport's an option for them. And that's, I think, one of the main problems with football being so dominant. And, you know, Glasgow 2014 was such a good thing for sport in Scotland. And it just showed all the good things about sport, showed all the good things about sports people that don't get paid thousands and thousands of pounds for not doing that much. You know, like most of the athletes at Glasgow 2014 will not get paid anything near the amount footballers get paid. And I would suggest work a lot harder than a lot of Scottish footballers. Just for interest, because it's something I don't know, if you were competing for Scotland, do you get any kind of funding at all? Yeah, if you're like kind of near the top, you get um, like kind of depending on where you are, you get like a living allowance, but I mean, there'll be a lot of Rangers players and Celtic players that would get more in a week than I would get in a year. And Uh like, that's fine. Like, if you do a minority sport, you definitely do not do it for the money. But I don't know if it's totally fair when I think a lot of the uh-huh. athletes maybe here at Glasgow 2014, I would say, work harder and in a lot of cases are more professional than a lot of professional footballers. And just a last sort of pick up on that then. Do you think that there will be take-up from the Commonwealth Games? Do you think that the legacy idea is going to prove to be real? Do you think there'll be kids taking up? badminton taking up athletics yeah i definitely think there will and you know there's a lot of really good facilities in glasgow particularly as a result of glasgow 2014 but you know it'd be it could be 10 years before anyone knows if there's actually been a definite legacy left and i mean no major sporting event has ever actually left a lasting sporting legacy so if glasgow 2014 does manage it it would be the first time ever that a major event has managed to do that. But I think, yeah, I mean, you saw just how many kids were in the crowd and how many kids will have seen things that they never even realised existed. So I think, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a start, but I think a lot still needs to be done to keep those kids playing sport, but I think it was definitely a start. Great. Um, uh, Ron, could I just turn to you for a second? Um, so we've been talking about the, the dominance of football, but on the other hand, for a town like Cowdenbeath, uh, I'm imagining... That football, when uh, the football's kind of bound up with identity, with where you're from. So, just take us back a little bit. How did you get involved? How did Cowdenbeath? How how did the awful fate befall you <laughs> to become a Cowdenbeath fan? Um, <clears throat> first of all, David, I should say that I have an uncle called David Bowie, and he was a he was a Bowie. That's his name. He was a butcher in Aloha, <laughs> and um, my mum and dad went on holiday to on honeymoon to Aloha. And when they got there, my dad broke the news to my mum that it just so happened that Aloha were playing Cowden Beef, right? <laughs> so it goes right back to um, our family. 
Um, I was brought up there. My grandfather would sit in the stand at Cowdenbeath, a tartan rug over his knee. My dad, who was a painter and decorator, he told me all the stories about some of the great characters in Cowdenby Football Club, like uh, a man called Hooky Leonard, who was a great <laughs> star. Who was, um, I don't think there'll be an enormous number of people in the audience who'll know no. who he led the This We're talking 1920s, yeah, yeah. and he eventually played for the Scottish League. Quite indisciplined, and uh, an Egyptian forward um, called Tufik Abdullah. And uh, quite remarkable. I was reared in all these stories, and also of the mining uh, community of which we were all part, and the fortunes of the football team. Uh, were related to the fortunes of coal. Do you think that Jerry's point um, about poverty relates to that then? Do you think there's something about, you know, you've got to have one thing to hang on to? Is that is that why football took such a hold in the mining communities? Well, there was a real solidarity in the mining communities uh, there. And um, the, there was something about your football team bearing the name of your town and even if it was only through the football pools, the name was kept alive. But there's a very close association. And the early academy players, they, they were all miners. And they, they, would, they would go straight from the pit to the football ground to play. And if a Cowdenbeath player went down injured and had to take his shirt off to get in, he was, he was black with coal dust. Mm-hmm. So there was that very close relationship between the mining between the town and the football club. And then when the mining uh, was was decimated with the whole Margaret Thatcher thing, things like that, um, the, the kind of life drained out of the football club. Right. So it was all very closely bound up and together. I think I wouldn't be the only person, perhaps on this panel, and certainly I'm sure in this room, who, who, who would look back with fondness on what you're describing and would think, ah, oh, that was, you know, this was the great time when the players were part of the you know community but then at the same time as Susan's pointing out we have a different sort of sporting world now a how do you see teams like Cowdenbeath relating to their communities now it, uh, do they have to be imaginative how do they how do they continue that relationship um, there's a, a hardcore diehard supporters who travel up and down the country sporting uh, the Blue Brazil. Um, by the way, I was very keen to find out how that nickname originated. And I, I, wrote, I wrote this book, Black Diamonds and the Blue Brazil, and I was able to find that um, it started, and it was a man a man called Chalky White from Loch Gelly, who stood in the terrace, and Cowmeath were going through a terrible time, and they managed to pass to each other, to the same blue shirt, three times in a row. <laughs> And Chalky shouted, come on, the Blue Brazil, the greatest team in the world at that time. And uh, that was the origin of, of, of that. But uh, they, there's always been a, a kind of bond between the town and the, and the football club. Um, and we produced, I mean, through the youth system, players like Craig Levine, you know, mm-hmm. who, who've gone through. And... Uh, so there's always, if, the, if somebody like Craig Levine then becomes a, a hero in a small town, a small mining town, and where, where the industry's gone uh, and unemployment's quite high, uh, these dreams are still kept alive. Still kept alive. Michael, um, 
football, you've played for Manchester United, you've played for Rangers, you've played for Hearts, you've played abroad. Um, you now also are part of the, the um, Radio Scotland kind of punditry team. In a way, so far, you know, that's taken a wee bit of a bashing, you know, you, the, the kind of big football, it's suffocating. Put in a wee defence here, uh, you know, football's a great part of Scottish Scottish life. How how does it look from from where you are, um, you know, now as a as a as you look at football in Scotland? Well, I think you know I wouldn't disagree with what uh, Susan said there. That you know, there's no doubt that Scottish football or you know football in Scotland is you know the biggest sport. It does suffocate other sports at, uh, at times. There is no doubt about that, and that was why I think you know Glasgow 2014 was very good. But you know, I think that um, the opportunities that are presented from from uh, from football. Are huge. That um, you know, we operate on an independent basis within football, and um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to get a couple of caps at full level with Scotland, and you know, to relate it to the whole uh, debate about independence. If if there was a team GB within football, there are so many football players in this country that wouldn't have been international players and wouldn't have been exposed to the world stage. That you're limiting the opportunities, and I think that was the big thing that I took out of. Glasgow 2014, like Jerry was talking about, is is that whole exposure of Scotland to the the world stage and, and the, the great opportunities that come with that for for athletes. And I think that, you know, like any walk of life, if you limit the opportunities, you're going to limit the potential of the of the people. And I think that's one of the strongest arguments for for independence in the relation of sport. And the other thing that I would mention uh, about uh, with football and what Susan had said, how football players do get paid. You know, a large sum of money. That's not all football players. There's a lot of players in Scotland who are earning, you know, not huge sums of money. And the other thing about, you know, other sports uh, men and men and women who potentially, you know, work harder than than, than football players. Again, I'd add, a, add a wee caveat to that in terms of the fact that because of the huge number of people that are participating in football, you're going to have a a larger sway or a you know a larger percentage uh-huh. of players that are maybe not as professional as they should be but if you look at the top level of any sport you're not going to get there unless you're fully professional and committed to the sport and I think that because there are so many different levels within football you find that there are players who yes they maybe earn more than they deserve but it's not huge sums of money for the level of professionalism that they get I mean you're absolutely right that sport football in Scotland is essentially independent I mean the SFA run it as they see fit Um, do you think that we need to be more imaginative with the structure of football in Scotland. Is there something? I mean, are we are we, are we hanging on to the past? You know, for example, the, the obvious dominance of Celtic and Rangers is bemoaned constantly uh, by fans of other clubs. Um, do you think? Do you do you think the stuff we need to do to tackle uh, um, Scottish? The, the structure of Scottish football to open it out more. Well, I think that um, you know a lot of work has been done at the SFA now to try and. Um, Engage with you know youngsters at an early age as early as possible because again you know like any you know any industry any walk of life you know the younger you get to people and you implement the right ideas then the the best chance you've got of giving them a bright future and I think that um, you know they're moving in the right direction they've, you know they've implemented uh, um, schools across the country different regions of you know performance schools getting to the kids at a young age to to give them the you know the ideas and the philosophies of how to do things in the right way. And I think those things, you know, all you need to do is 
you look at the other countries that have been successful in doing it and you try to you know uh, marry it in with the, the things that Scotland are good at and then you know you're, like Susan had said there as well you don't you're not going to see results until you know 10 15 years down the line but you know I would say that the, the, the biggest thing for me is yes there's facilities great facilities across the country now but the biggest thing is the coaches I think any sports person will tell you the number one most important thing is good coaches and you know I, I think all you need to do is look no further than the Scotland football national team at the moment and you see the huge difference that's been made with somebody like Gordon Strachan going in there who clearly is a, you know, a top manager coach knows what he's doing and I think that um, you know this continual negativity that we have in this country of we're crap, we're no good, it's self-defeating. You know we have right. good football players, we have good sportsmen and women in this country, and a bit more positivity and an idea of what actually is needed to compete at the world stage, we are capable. There is nothing genetically different about us in terms of we're incapable and other other people are. We have the ability. We just need to marry that up with some belief and confidence. And I'm a firm you know, believer that Scotland are able to compete on the world stage. That, that, OK, that's really interesting. I think that, just to, to finesse that a tiny bit, are you suggesting, because I, I think I might agree with you if you are, that, that we slightly enjoy defeat a bit? Well, I think <clears throat> there's, there's, there is without doubt a, a trait within the Scottish mentality of do well but don't do you know, don't too well. Do too well. Yeah. And I think that that is, as I said, self-defeating. Listen, you could go into you know all different sort of deep level debate about you know is that related to the political setup in the country? Is mm. it because you know we feel undermined at times? You could argue yes, but I think that you know when it comes to the sporting uh, world, if you lack belief and self confidence, you're not going to get very far. Yeah. So you relate that, as I said, back to the political setup. Is that holding us back on a sporting level? Maybe. Uh, you know, you could argue about that. Um, I want to come to uh, uh, Alan, but I just think, Ruth, it would be interesting to get your take on this idea. I just have to tell this anecdote, but I once, I'm a Partick Thistle fan, um, which I suppose is inevitable, being someone who once lived in Glasgow's West Ends involved in the theatre community, traditionally the home of Glasgow's uh, theatricals. But I remember once we got invited, we did the, like, um, the corporate thing where you go and have lunch and everything. We got backstage, and uh, not backstage. Oh God! <laughs> went into the dressing uh, the room. The theatre of dreams. Yeah, yeah. We went into the dressing room, and they, the the captain was sat there, and uh, he was just on his own. And uh, I said, "Oh, you know, we, we all came in a little group of us." I said, "How do you think it's going to go today?" And he said, "Oh, I don't think it's going to go well." <laughs> I thought, "Come on, you know." <laughs> Well, the, you know, you're never going to win with that attitude. Anyway, um, but Ruth, do you think there's a level where the, the Scottish fan, Europe sort of, you've written often as a fan, do you think the Scottish fan mentality uh, revels sometimes in defeat? I don't think we revel in it, but I think we're, uh, we've been exposed to it so often that we've had to find some kind of coping mechanism. Um, I mean, one of the interesting things that's happened in my lifetime as a, a Scottish fan is that the Scottish fans now, as a matter of honour, try to be really, really well behaved in order to show up the other lot. Um, so that's quite interesting. I mean, I've been to five World Cups, and I have to say the one I enjoyed most was the one we didn't qualify for, because I didn't have that sickening pre-match tension stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I could just go and watch as it happened. I think the nearest team to us was Northern 
Ireland uh, when, the, when the World Cup was in the USA. But if I could just pick up quickly on a couple of things that Susan said, I mean, we should be celebrating today um, our nearest neighbours. Um, the Women's Rugby World Cup team won uh, the England World yeah. Cup, won the, uh, won the Rugby Union World Cup. Now, that's absolutely brilliant um, result for them because we're not talking highly paid sports women here. We're talking of folk that went back to work as a vet or a plumber or all the other things that they do as a day job. And a lot, as Susan will know, a lot of people in uh, sport, especially women, have to do the day job and all the other myriad things in their life and then find time in their, in their leisure hours to go and train. I went to my first footy match, age six, because my brother didn't like sport at all, my older brother. And so my dad took me off the subs bench and took me to matches. And one of the reasons that I'm dentally challenged now is that he used to give me sweeties if I could recite the Scottish team in the correct formation. Um, <laughs> And uh, my dentist is very happy about that period in my life. Um, so I think if you're exposed to sport, as Susan says, early enough, I've played a lot of sports, five or six different sports, to a really poor, poor level. But I've always enjoyed it. Um, the downside of it, of course, what they don't tell you when you're 14 and playing sport is that you will, some years down the line, have really, really crap knees. Well, uh, yes, but then, you know, uh, there's something about... Uh the new, I mean, I'm very interested you participate, you participated because I didn't know that about you, but do you think that, um, do you think participation links to fandom, or is it, as Jerry says, that fandom sometimes stops you participating? Well, I take Jerry's point about that. I mean, there, there are a lot of um, armchair sports people in, in Glasgow, but on the other hand, Glasgow's done some brilliant things. One of the things Glasgow Life did when it took over responsibility for uh, sport and culture, an interesting linkage there, I've always thought, yeah. um, it, it gave uh, free entry to the swimming baths for folk in Glasgow of all ages. Now that's really, really important because if you're, especially if you're not living all that near the swimming baths, you know, you've got the, the cost of getting into town to do that. So if you don't have any further costs, if you can go and take the family swimming for now, I think that's a very civilised way to go about getting folks um, interested in physical activity. Alan, um, just to open up another angle, um, <clears throat> we've talked a little bit about sport and identity on the sort of small town level. But you've written about uh, Rangers. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about what your book opened up? Because obviously the Celtic Rangers divide and what that means culturally in Scotland hangs over everything. I mean, it's. It, it, I think it's fair to say it isn't just football. I think that's something that kind of it becomes emblematic of other divisions. So what did you find as you put that book together? Um, well, it was a book specifically about the relationship of Rangers to Britishness and to Scottish independence. And we got six contributors who... Everybody in the book was a Rangers fan, apart from one person, Harry Reid, who's an Aberdeen fan. Um, and myself and my co-editor, uh, I was the yes side, he was the no side. And uh, we got six yes-supporting Rangers fans and six no-supporting Rangers fans to sort of, you know, present their case. And what I've tended to find was that the common theme among the Yes supporting Rangers fans was, well, you know, I love my club, but there's something bigger happening here that I think is going to be good for Scottish society, it's going to be good for Rangers fans, and we need to put aside those tribal divisions and start thinking of ourselves as, as citizens. And the no supporting Rangers fans, their argument tended to be, well, I'm British. You know, it flowed out of identity, which um, to some extent wasn't a surprise. 
Um, but did make me realise just how tribal that can be, the, the, their Britishness, their sense of themselves, uh, and, the, and its entirety, the, their political choices, flowed out of their support for their football, football team. team. It was continuous with that. And uh, almost no argument you could present against them would break that down. Because it's like, if you take away my Britishness, you're taking away fundamentally who I think of myself. See, I, I was observing just uh, before that, I just wanted to look at some of the layers of identity, because that interests me there, that um, I, I would cheer, you know, I, I think personally, I would obviously uh, go from uh, cheering on uh, Partick Thistle or Scotland at football, but then there's the British and Irish Lions at rugby, and I feel pretty happy to support them. Uh, in cricket, a which I, I like cricket, but Scotland don't really play at cricket internationally, so I'm quite happy to cheer for England at cricket, partly because not a lot of people maybe know this, but Absolutely. you can actually play for England if you're Scottish at England, cricket. It's England and Wales cricket England board. England and Wales cricket board, but also there's been Scottish players in there. And then you, the Ryder Cup is coming up. We're going to presumably be cheering for Europe, I guess, then. Um, and then Team GB at the Olympics and so on. How do, how do, you, do, how do you experience sport and identity personally, but also how do you observe it as a kind of commentator when you look at these, these things? Um, well, I'm interested in sport, particularly football, particularly Rangers, at an anthropological level. Uh, because I would describe myself loosely as a Ranger supporter because I was one when I was young and those ties never quite dissolve. Um, but I think with football and identity, it goes very deep with men because I think if you ask most men about their relationship to football, they're actually talking about their relationship to their father because usually people are introduced to football through a father or through an uncle and the football sort of is a way of... Uh, sort of navigating the relationships to other men um, in a way that I think is sometimes quite unhealthy. Not always. You know, there's all cliche about football is the way that men express their emotions. So if it goes down to something as deep as uh, your relationship with your dad or your brother or your uncle, and then you construct an identity around that, of course that's going to be unshakable in a lot of ways because it goes right back to the source. As... As is typical with All Back to Bowie's in our short panels, the most extraordinarily interesting moment happens just as we're beginning to run out of time. And I haven't had a chance to get back to Jerry. I'm going to get back to Jerry, but really, really quickly. Um, uh, by the way, we're probably running on a bit, so if you do need to leave, just scoot out the back, but we'll, 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 we'll try and keep it tight from here on in. Hey, Jerry, do you want to just quickly respond? And whilst you're doing that, could I ask you all to think of your... Uh, your future sporting moment that you would like to see, maybe a thing you would like to see happen, something you'd like to see instituted in your own area of sport. And so once we've had a wee bit of a final word from Jerry, just briefly, we'll just scoot around the panel with that. So I'd just give like to say, I really think, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful that Alan, Alan brought that point, point of dads, because dads, dads are important. You know, we only have one dad and, uh, and mums are important. And why I think football matters is this thing about what's happened to Scotland because our society's changed, our economy's changed. Men don't do those big jobs of building things that some people are all nostalgic about, but actually for most men were pretty horrible, you know, and, and pretty oppressive. They got some expression building the Queen Mary or something, you know, but they, they, they weren't exactly really having fun, you know. 
And, and so the way, the way in which that's, our society's changed over the last 30, 40 years, our, our folklore and our memory with our dads is, is, is connected through, through football. And that, that's an awful lot of like, stuff to put in what, is, what is, is, is a sport. One of my big relationships with my dad is through, apart from Frank Sinatra, uh, which I won't go there, is, is, through, is through my love of Dundee United. And I think we need to have other stories about, about yeah. how working class communities have changed. So just quickly, because we need to wrap up, a, who should I start with? Uh, Ruth, would you be willing to start with, what would you like to see? What would be the sporting moment you would most like to see? Well, apart from the obvious of Scotland winning the World Cup, but I've put that to one side for a very long time, um, I'd like to see a joint, a team comprising uh, jointly uh, the best players in Rangers and Celtic taking on the best players in uh, Barcelona and winning. Grand. Um, well, I would just like to see Scotland get into the World Cup again. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a whole generation now who have never seen Scotland compete in a major tournament, something that we all grew up with. And all right, we used to get there and, you know, generally get humped. But the getting there was something. Uh, and also, I want to get into the shinty. Yeah, yeah, the shinty, yeah. Um, I think what I would like to see is not even one specific moment. It would just be like kids and like Scotland be more sporty and like every different sport not just football and um, I think that would be the thing that makes the biggest difference in this country to be honest if, if more kids just like engage with sport and play sport and not necessarily at like an elite level or a world class level I think that's the thing that would make the biggest difference to this country is if more kids are sporty and then they're more healthy they're just it makes so much difference yeah. to their lives so I think for me that would be the biggest thing great uh, Ron Lacey came me win the Champions League um, but I would also like to see a lot more money go into youth systems at a local level because I know that in Cowdenmeath for instance there's some kids there have come off drugs they've got good coaching some have gone on to play for bigger clubs I would like to see more development at the less glamorous but down to earth local level Michael? Um, I think quite similar to what Susan was saying. Uh, for me, you know, apart from the obvious as we spoke about, you know, Scotland even just getting to a major tournament or winning it, I think um, you know increased opportunities not just in football but across all spectrums of uh, of sport. Um, how that's done, you know, we'll wait and see. But I think that um, increased opportunities is the, is the biggest thing. Is the you know the the youth of today, you've got to give them opportunities for them to fulfil their potential. And I think that uh, you know that's what I'd want to see as many opportunities as possible for the youngsters. And very very briefly, Jerry, just a final word. Um, yeah, I, I want to see Scotland get to a World Cup final, and I want to um, I, I manage to stop being anyone but England at football. But I'd actually like to live in Scotland where I can uh, genuinely support England because I can't quite get there yet. Uh, Jerry, just a last question. <laughs> if, um, if I gave you the choice, yeah. if, if, if I channeled David Bowie or some mm. other mm. spirit in the sky and the choice was you could get a yes vote in independence or Scotland could win the World Cup, but not both, which would you go for? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to go for the real, the real change. I'm, I'm going to go for a, a yes vote. So yeah. not a true fan. Great. Um, no, I'm not a true fan. No, I'm not. I'm a fake football fan, everyone. Uh, so that's fantastic. I'd love you to give it up. Thanks very much to our fantastic panel today. Thank you. So if you guys uh, want to go down to the front row. I'll clear the chairs while Fiona introduces our next guest. 
Thank you very much. Uh, that was really interesting. None the least that I had no idea I had a great uncle called David Bowie. Who knew? Um, That could have happened. Um, the next person that we'd like to introduce to you is Miko Berry. Um, when I looked Miko up, uh, the first thing that came up in Google was just loud poet. So you have been warned. Oh, uh. hiya. Um, first of all. Uh, the song You're Not the Boss of Me Now is by a band called The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. I'm quite a pop punk rock fan and upset that you didn't know that. <laughs> and also, Jerry, I really like that you've come today dressed as Shaggy from Shaggy and Scooby. So it's endlessly entertaining. Uh, my name is Miko Berry. I am a loud poet, but I'm just a sort of spoken word slam style poet. Um, I really enjoyed listening to that. I'm actually a I was a basketball player when I was younger, in spite of my shortness. I played point guard, and I thought for years I didn't like sports um, because all there was was football, and what I realised was I just wasn't a big football fan uh, because I was rubbish at it. Um, so, yeah, it was really nice hearing that. I'd really love for more sport to be more accessible in, uh, in Scotland. I also love badminton, but I was also awful at that. Uh, I wrote a poem called We Could Be Heroes for This. I normally take months and months to write poems. So this was very stressful, and I just finished it this morning. So we're going to see if we remember it. Yeah! <clears throat> there came a point in all of our lives where people stopped believing that we could be anything we wanted to be. Do you remember when we were six, and grown-ups would ask us with wide eyes, what do you want to be? And we said everything and anything. I want to be an astronaut, a footballer, prime minister. There was a kid in my class that wanted to be a velociraptor. <laughs> but we all wanted to be heroes. And no one has ever told us that we couldn't be. Because we were wishing wells, glass jars of potential filled up with IOUs and one day soons and the flower doesn't really matter. As long as one day it blooms. You just plant the seed and you wait. Sometimes I wonder if we'll grow too big for these glass jars. And sometimes I wonder when it was that grown-ups stopped believing in me. It was probably when I decided to be a poet instead of something more stable like a brain surgeon, but I don't really see the difference. See, I'm still changing minds, and what we are is not what defines us. What we want to be is what defines us. And most of us, we want to be more. Not content with being a solid 6.4 out of 10 anymore. I want to grow until the seeds of doubt that you planted blossom into someone that you recognize. Blossom into something that you want to see, someone that you want to know more about. Just ask me the questions and I'll tell you it's true. That we know more now than we knew and one day we'll know it all. But until then we'll fall every single time we try to climb. And if your rope is stronger than mine, then let's reach the top together. And remember that this hand that you're holding is my first. See, I gave my second hand to someone else. Someone that could breathe new life into it and make it grip again. I want to be the king of what ifs. In a land where everyone is royalty because together we can rule. Let's redefine the rules and redesign the strategy. Let's redistribute the wealth. Teach kids that if everyone helps everyone, no one needs to help themselves. I want to be the leader in the chase for tomorrow. And yeah, I know she's already got a one day head start, but if we never catch up, if we never take part, and I know that the road less traveled, some people just say that's a discovery waiting. So I'm going to leave the debate to other people for a while because... No map can show definitively where we're going. The brightest minds on earth have no way of knowing for sure, and that's why there will always be uncertainty in tomorrow. 
But people used to believe. And I don't know when that stopped. We grew too big for these jars because a single seed can never define who we are, can never tell our entire story because we are gardens of guts and glory, of regret and defeat, the people who rise to their feet and face another challenge head on. So tell me again why you don't believe that we can do this. When we were younger, people believed that we could be anything that we wanted to be, and now we want to be heroes. Thanks for having me, guys. Enjoy the rest of the things. Thanks very much, Miko. That was brilliant. A world is that a world premiere? A world premiere. Brilliant. Okay, so have you all been working on your sentences? My sporting dream is. Um, uh, if you haven't, now's your time to very, very quickly finish them off. A share pens. Um, it really doesn't matter what it's written on. Any little scrap will do. And um, Fiona's Fiona's absolutely right. We had a, we had a wonderful visit from the um, from the uh, keepers of the referendum archive at the National Library of Scotland. Um, and they, uh, they, basically it was a complete accident on the first Bowie's day that we decided to do this sort of crowdsourced poem thing. And we, we hadn't laid out nice bits of paper on the chairs because um, we hadn't thought we would do it. And it happened to be that that was the day the referendum keepers were in, uh, the referendum archive, archivists. And we showed them this, this, this little sort of bundle of scraps with, I think that that day's thought was Scotland is like dot dot dot, and um, their eyes just lit up because I thought they would be interested in all our sort of emails to all the important people we've invited, but no, they looked, their eyes just lit up. And they said, "This is this is what we want. This is gold," and I think it's because a just reading all these little responses from ordinary folk, but also. In 200 years' time, you can imagine that the little thought about the referendum is quite interesting, but probably more interesting is the receipt it's on the other side of. So, um, so you can imagine somebody poring over these. So we'll do our crowdsourced poem. Uh, this is My Sporting Dream Is. Ready, steady, go. My sporting dream is football as socialism. My sporting dream is Queen of the South beating Rangers at Ibrox to clinch the championship. My sporting dream is Stockport County to revive. My sporting dream is Scotland to win Rugby World Cup. My sporting dream is going on faking it as a football-phobic newbie pundit on a precarious learning curve, but fooling the judges. Uh, my sporting dream is to get to 90 still skiing and playing tennis well. My sporting dream is for Scotland to be represented on its own terms at sport, not as part of the, uh, on all sports, not as part of the UK. My sporting dream is for Scotland to always compete as Scotland. My sporting dream is Spurs winning the Champions League. Uh, my sporting dream is for Chris Hoy to get gold for GB in Rio 2016. My sporting dream is that Glasgow 2014 becomes the first genuine catalyst for sporting participation. My sporting dream is as many women on TV sport as women in Scotland as... Yeah, I don't think it's quite that, but anyway, more women on TV, uh, TV sport. My sporting dream is for all 
Scottish sports people to be proud to be recognised as such. My sporting dream is for Hibs to win the Scottish Cup. That's almost as absurd as Cowden Beef. My sporting dream is to see 100%, yes, 100% participation in sport because of the physical and mental health benefits. My sporting dream is Scotland wins a football match wins a football match against England. I like that. It's a very, it's a very achievable, limited dream, which may actually happen on November the whatever. And last of all, my sporting dream is to understand football. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. Thank, give yourselves a round of applause. That was a really brilliant um, uh, thing. So, I think that's... So, the last thing is... Um, to invite Josephine back on the stage to finish with our song. Uh, also to invite you all, uh, there, hasn't, there hasn't been opportunities for you to talk to the panel. A lot of us will hang out, have a coffee, a beer at the end. If you can get back through what must be the smallest yurt door in certainly Scotland without uh, concussing yourself, come and join us. Um, and while Josephine's getting set up, just to do a couple of uh, plugs on behalf of some of the guests that we've had today. Um, Miko is appearing at the Fringe under Loud Poets, so go and Google them. Uh, Ron Ferguson has just re-released Black Diamonds in the Blue Brazil. Lucky Ruth is chairing uh, a session with Bonnie Greer at three o'clock today at the Book Festival. Jerry's book, uh, he was reading from his book Caledonian Dreaming. Uh, and Alan Bissett you can find in The Pure, The Dead and The Brilliant, which is on at... Assembly rooms that have to every day. And it's really, really good. Yes. I'm just saying, I saw it the other day. It's fantastic. Um, Thank you very much. You've been a great audience. And please put your hands together for Josephine and her ironing board. comment that Alan made during the panel about football and men's relationships with it being like their relationships with their dads because my dad hates football he doesn't like it at all the only sport he likes is the Grand Prix now, does, that, does that count? I don't know that's driving, does that count as a sport? I, I don't know um, and I my granny was a, was a really big fan of football she absolutely loved it but my grandpa doesn't like it at all, he used to take books to the football games to read so that explains it. That explains why my dad hates football. <laughs> I remember actually when I was about 10, he tried really hard for about a week to get into football. And we had to listen to it on the radio for that week, and it was awful. <laughs> so because um, we are pretty short on time, I'm not going to give the song much of an introduction, other than I played it a lot on the Estival tour, and it's about revolutions. So the song is called Hurricanes, and I hope you enjoy
Thanks very much, Josephine Sillers. Once more for Josephine Sillers. That was fantastic. Thank you. Um, thanks so much for coming down to, uh, to Bowie's today. Tomorrow uh, we have a panel called Suffragette City, Women and the Independence Referendum, uh, with the wonderful Elaine C. Smith, amongst many others. So do come down for that. Um, and further Bowie's throughout the week, uh, you can check our website and find out the other things that we're discussing um, and hopefully we'll see you again. Uh, but other than that, thanks for coming down. And, and I was about to say enjoy the rest of your fringe, but Fiona has just one further thing to say. Um, my one nudge uh, was just to let you know that Josephine has badges out the front that she'd like to give you away, and you can find her uh, on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks very much, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your fringe. Thank you. are the sentences for show 19 and the sentence was my sporting dream is my sporting dream is that Scottish people would enjoy baseball as we Taiwanese do my sporting dream is Stockport County to revive my sporting dream is Queen of the South to beat Rangers at Ibrox to clinch the championship my sporting dream is football as socialism my sporting dream is Scotland to win the Rugby World Cup. My Scotland dream is going on faking it as a football-phobic newbie pundit on a precarious learning curve and fooling the judges. 
My sporting dream is to get 90 still skiing and playing tennis well. To get to 90 still skiing and playing tennis well. My sporting dream is for Scotland to be represented on its own terms in all sports, not just as part of the UK. My sporting dream is Spurs winning the Champions League. My sporting dream is for Chris Hoy to get gold for GB in Rio 2016. My sporting dream is that Glasgow 2014 becomes the first genuine catalyst for sporting participation. My sporting dream is as many women on TV, uh, on sports TV as men in Scotland. My sporting dream is for all Scottish sports people to be proud to be recognised as such. My sporting dream is for Hibs to win the Scottish Cup. My sporting dream is to see 100%, yes, 100% participation in sport because of the physical and mental health benefits. My sporting dream is for Scotland to always compete as Scotland, not as part of a UK team in any sport, in its own right, Olympics, World Games, etc. My sporting dream is that Scotland wins a football match against England. My sporting dream is to understand football.